Hi, this is David Shoemaker. Welcome to Living Thelema. Today's segment is going to be part two of our two-part series on the methods and tools of AA. Now, um, this is definitely one of those segments where uh, to get the most out of it, you're you're certainly going to want to go back and listen to part one. Um, I, I did a lot of setup and um, preparation for uh, the topics we're going to be talking about in both of these segments. It's really going to be um, hard to get the most out of it unless you go listen to part one. So please do that first and uh, then come back and listen to this segment. Now, you'll recall that the main point of what I'm discussing here is to not simply do a grade-by-grade analysis of what you're doing in the the first-order grades of AA and beyond, but more specifically to look at the type of training that is occurring. Um, So as you recall, I have five training tracks, and in the last segment we did the first two of these. That would be the development of magical skills and techniques as track one, and the training of the mind to focus, to empty, to become and remain receptive. That was track two. In this segment, we're going to cover the remaining tracks, three, four, and five. Track three is the stimulation and activation of the chakras and the raising of kundalini. Track four is the devotional or bhakti aspects of the training. And track five is the balancing of the psychomagical constitution, as I'm calling it. Now, another important point to call to your mind again here is that uh, all of these training tracks are aimed with one-pointedness at the knowledge and conversation of the Holy Guardian Angels. So the underlying theme here, uh, again, is going to be why do we do these? Why do they help with knowledge and conversation uh, when the time comes? So that's the frame we're putting around all of this. So let's uh, dig right into track three, the stimulation uh, and or activation of chakras and the raising of kundalini. Now, these are terms that are used in a lot of different ways by a lot of different people, and I think uh, I should probably define these terms uh, the way I'm using them today. Uh, basically, I am simply positing that there is a life force resident in each person, which I am terming kundalini, and that through various practices, this life force can be intensified and applied in specific targeted ways to a transformational process in the body in the mind, and in the subtle energy centers with which we work. Now, the training in this track begins, like many of the other techniques we've discussed here, as early as probation or for many aspirants. Um, many probationers are going to be working with uh, asana, the holding of, of still postures in the body. The testing on that is not done until zelator, um, where one must sit perfectly still in front of one's superior for a full hour, before uh, being passed. Um, when there's sufficient uh, facility with, with uh, posture, um, it's appropriate to begin experimenting with pranayama. And this also may start as early as probationer, but it's not tested as such until zealoter. Um, one of the interesting things you might note about the testing expected of the zealoter in terms of pranayama is that the results that are being looked for here in terms of the, uh, the fine perspiration and automatic rigidity are uh, really symptoms of kundalini arousal and uh, action. Just the beginning stages, it gets a lot more intense, but 
it's evident that even at the level of Zelator, the work that is being done is getting the the flow of energy intensified, and um, you're starting to see some concrete results from this. Um, now, this is intensified manyfold, in my opinion, uh, with the SSS practices out of Libra HHH, which are assigned to the practicus. Um, this uh, is a practice I've discussed on the podcast before, and it's the one where you are moving the energy between the base of the spine and the brain and conceiving of these opposite poles as being uh, Nuit and Hadit and, and uh, building up this sort of this courtship between the two ends of your spine and uh, slamming them together in ecstasy. And, uh, you know, this, this is a, a beautiful exercise that really takes the track three training to a new level at practicus. And then, of course, all along, um, magical practices where you are bringing in magical force, controlling it, um, embodying it in a sense, uh, being a vessel for it, and then directing it in a targeted way. All of those things are exercising the muscles of uh, containment and direction of magical force in the aspirant. So even though it might not seem like doing a magical ritual is kundalini work per se, as we've described it, it really is in the sense that you are building yourself up as a battery and um, targeting mechanism for, uh, for this energy. And now, of course, the question I've been asking at every stage here, why bother to do this? What's the purpose of doing kundalini work um, in the AA system? Well, it's a bit like the the life force that we're calling kundalini is a fuel a fuel that potentiates all of the transformations that we're trying to undertake here all of the willed transformations of self are given more power and more potency um, via this energy being raised and applied in, in a directed and willed manner uh, additionally and very importantly the ecstasy that occurs when these uh, essentially tantric processes of raising the kundalini force are um, are brought to their conclusion. Uh, this divine ecstasy is in itself transformative, healing, uh, evolutionary. Um, you might remember that the the subtitle of Gopi Krishna's important work on kundalini is the evolutionary energy in man, and that's literal uh, in, in my view. The the energy here is is ready to potentiate transformation of the human into the more than human in uh, the direction that we will. And the the experience of divine ecstasy is so important in the path towards knowledge and conversation that it can't be overstated. Um, by the time we have done this work in the first order of AA, um, this transformation should be so acute and so um, vivid that it's quite simply the case that God, the idea of God, the idea of our HGA is the, is the sexiest thing we can imagine and that sex is the holiest thing we can imagine and experience. Um, these transformations of our very conceptions and experiences of self, life force, sexuality uh, as an embodiment of life force 
are, are pivotal in the progress towards knowledge and conversation. So that's why track three exists. Now, um, let's move on to track four, which is the devotional and bhakti practices. You'll probably recall that the term bhakti itself means devotion, and when we speak of bhakti yoga, we're speaking of the, the yoga of devotion. And uh, while this is particularly assigned to the philosophers uh, in the in the Netzach grade. Um, the aspiration, the devotion, the uh, the fire, the passion for the path itself, and and the progress toward the union with the angel um, has been felt all along. I suspect by everyone on the path, and and it's highly unlikely that someone would even arrive at the philosophers grade. Uh, it's, in fact, it's impossible for me to imagine that anyone would arrive at that station on the path without um, having been fueled by quite a bit of devotion and aspiration all along. Um, when you were first called to this work, um, no matter how far in the past or how recently that might have been, I'm sure as you reflect back on it, you can see that there was an element of uh, of devotion and aspiration that was that was calling to you, uh, however you understood that at the time. So this, this aspect of the path, the devotional aspect has been there from the beginning. Um, all beauty, all truth and beauty that calls to us, that, uh, is the mystery that we reach for is that the, uh, the, the siren song that calls us onward, all of that is, one or another aspect of the Holy Guardian Angel active in your life and consciousness. Um, all of these experiences are glimmers of the angel um, to help you write your course toward the angel. Um, when Joseph Campbell says, follow your bliss, he's not kidding. This is a process of discovering what makes you come alive what makes you love, what makes you continue ever reaching for the next mystery before you, behind the next veil before you. Um, these muscles of devotion and aspiration are cultivated uh, most pointedly, as I said, in the grade of philosophers, which corresponds to Netzach. And of course, this grade is the one you're hitting just as you're rounding the bend toward Tefereth. And it's, you know, it's the climactic elemental grade of the First Order. And uh, right at this moment when you are um, ready to, nearly ready to begin the, the formal working of, of the knowledge of conversation, um, this is where you have to really light the fires of aspiration in particular. This is where you have to have all of the, the, the muscles of devotion uh, in full bore and fully developed. So you've been working on it all along, but here's where it's really turned up a notch. Now, the key task uh, formally assigned to the philosophers is Libra Astarte um, in terms of a devotional task. And uh, as you may recall, Libra Astarte is uh, a, a beautifully written work of Crowley's where he's describing um, the process of creating a, a, essentially your own religious system devoted to a particular deity of your choice. Um, 
And the point here, as is made very clear in the, in Libra Starte itself, is not that you are uh, having to permanently um, consider yourself a devotee of some particular god that you've chosen, but that in order to strengthen the muscles of devotion uh, and the here it is again, the divine ecstasy that arises out of this devotion. Um, you got to practice with something. If you don't, you know, at this point you supposedly don't have um, full conscious union with the angels. So you develop a religious system, a system of worship, a system of rituals and, and other devotional practices that are aimed at some other deity of your choice, all to strengthen the muscles that you will eventually, and not very far in the future probably, be using for the formal knowledge of conversation working. So now let's turn our attention to track five, which is the balancing of the psychomagical constitution. I also think of this as preparing ourselves as a grail, uh, a grail for the indwelling of the light of the angel. And the reason this metaphor really works for me is that um, if a grail designed to contain, you know, a metaphorical liquid here is lopsided, it will tip over. If it's got a hole in it, it will leak. If it's made of the wrong material, it will crumble. And in other words, if it's not properly constructed in a balanced and suitable way, it's not going to function as it should. So throughout the first order grades of AA, the aspirant has been endeavoring in many, many ways to fashion themselves as a balanced and suitably constructed vehicle. Uh, one of the ways this is symbolized across the grades is in the construction of the elemental weapons, which correspond to the four elements of earth, water, fire, and air. Um, and they also correspond to, of course, to the, the grades between Malkuth and Netzach. And they also, by another way of reckoning, correspond to the four functions uh, that Jung describes in the psyche, the sensing, feeling, thinking, and intuition. And uh, I attribute them like this, that the pantacle is the weapon of earth and malkuth and sensation. The dagger uh, is the weapon of air and yesod and intuition, remembering that Spiritual intuition often first manifests through the subconscious, uh, attributed to Yesod. Um, the cup is the weapon of water and of hode and thinking. And the wand is the weapon of fire and netzach and feeling, of aspiration and desire. Um, additionally, at Dominus Luminous grade, the, the magic lamp is constructed as a symbol of the crowning spirit uh, over the other four elements. So all of these things, the four elements or the four functions of the psyche, uh, the four weapons, they all represent balanced development of psychomagical constitution in such a way that we become a suitable vessel for the indwelling of the angel. As I've said on a, a previous podcast, the, the model is a lot like that of a lightning rod, where if you construct it correctly, lightning strikes it. The appropriate form draws the desired force. The force will only come if the form is appropriate. So given that way of understanding this process, it's pretty self-evident why track five is so crucial to the knowledge of conversation, uh, ultimately, because 
simply. The force will not reside in an improper vessel. So now that I've laid this uh, symbolism of the grail on you, I'm going to switch gears and give you an entirely different symbol, uh, but I think one that also teaches us a lot about the nature of the work. If you think of the entirety of the first order grades of AA as the construction of the lamp. I've already mentioned the lamp is attributed to the dominus luminous grade. Um, but let's think about this in a slightly different way. Um, through processes of um, transformation of the physical body, transformation of the life that we're living, those Malkuthi sort of aspects of things, um, we have constructed the physical components of the lamp, the, the structure of ourselves as a lamp. Um, we have pursued kundalini practices that form the oil that is in the lamp, the fuel for the lamp, through the right use of our intellect and our mind generally, we have chosen the right patterns uh, with which to construct ourselves as this lamp. With the aspiration and the devotion and the desire of Netzach and of the Track 4 practices, we have provided a spark that can light the lamp. So do you see how all of these things must be there in order for the process to work and how each of these five tracks contributes something uh, indispensable in making us, at the end of the first order process, a perfectly constructed lamp of light awaiting the indwelling of the angel. And that's about the best way I can understand and explain the process to you. In the podcast on the Holy Guardian Angel, one of the earliest Living Thelema segments, um, I went into a lot more detail about the nature of the transformation of consciousness that is um, happening as knowledge and conversation develops. So you might want to listen or re-listen to that uh, and plug that into this particular juncture in what I'm describing today before we go on. Um, so you've completed the first order grades. You have undertaken some sort of magical retirement and formal working for knowledge and conversation, having properly prepared yourself. Knowledge and conversation results. There is success. You have uh, a very much clarified sense of the true will, your path in life um, across incarnations, but certainly in the one you're presently in. And now what do you do? Um, this is kind of an important question. Are you going to have done all of this work, discovered the true will, and then um, do something else? No, of course not. The whole reason you've been here uh, all along and the reason you've been striving is to enact the true will, which you can now, only now, really begin to do with maximum power and clarity having achieved knowledge and conversation. So the question of what to do next, is it really answers itself, and that is to undertake the task of transforming all of your life 
to be a suitable atmosphere in which to enact your true will. I suggest you listen to the podcast I did on the right use of magical power in light of the way this empowerment comes uh, to the Adeptus Minor by virtue of having knowledge of the true will. And this is, in essence, the, the transformative process that leads to Adeptus Major, the 6 equals 5 grade that is attributed to Gaborah. We have to take our knowledge of true will and shape our lives into a perfect environment, as perfect as possible, an environment for its execution. This means casting aside those things which are obstacles to the execution of the will, transforming of our uh, surroundings, our, uh, perhaps our relationships, our employment, uh, you know, all sorts of things may be um, radically changed uh, when we have knowledge of true will and we have to apply that to our choices. Um, with this comes great magical power, as Crowley often discusses in terms of the Adeptus Major Grade. And the natural consequence of an adept of this stature pursuing the true will with full magical empowerment is that this person is very likely to develop into, quite naturally, develop into um, a, an expert in their field, a well-known um, or at least vibrantly living example of what a Ruach, you know, a, a, a mind and soul of this person's particular shape can develop into. They're going to be all that they can be as an incarnate human. They're going to grow into all they can be as an incarnate human. And this is essentially the transformational process leading to the grade of Adeptus, Adeptus Exemptus, uh, which is attributed to Hesed, the 7 equals 4 grade. It flows naturally from all that's gone before, and the Adeptus Exemptus is an example of the uh, the fully realized Ruach, the fully realized incarnate human as we understand it in our normal sense of the word. Um, so now you arrive at Adeptus Exemptus, you're incredibly good at what you do, you're doing exactly what you're here to do, for the most part, life unfolds in front of you to make that possible without too much conflict or consternation. Uh, there are always exceptions. but um, at, at, And at this point, think about it. What's next? What can you do next to be you know, more developed as a, as, a, as a human? Nothing, according to this model. I mean, there's always more self-knowledge and more growth to pursue um, in, in subtle ways. But for the most part, when you've attained to this level, the only thing left to discover is that everything you have been doing is in service. Everything that you have been, everything you are, all of the powers and potencies resident in the execution of your true will are in fact in service to humanity itself, to the universe itself. You have come face to face with the realization that unless you were willing to give up the idea of yourself as some individually empowered entity that is attaining for its own sake, 
unless you're willing to abandon that false sense of separateness from the universal will which you embody, you can't go further. And it's the clinging to this individual identity that characterizes what Crowley describes as the Black Brothers, the the adepts of seven equals four that won't let go of that. But if the adeptus exemptus is willing to abandon these ego trappings and is willing to undertake the further work of the grade, which is one of deep bhakti devotion to the all and to the path of service to the all and the path of loving the all. And the adeptus exemptus is willing to do the further tasks of the grade, which include practices like Libras, Abismi, and Liber Thisharb, um, which essentially are functioning as ego mortifications, if you will. Um, in other words, when the adeptus exemptus can fully embrace that their life is nothing but service to the universal life, then it becomes possible to, with enough karmic uh, force behind oneself, to cross the abyss and attain to the grade of 8 equals 3 of Magister Templi. So, obviously, um, we can't go from probationer to 8 equals 3 um, without oversimplifying a few things. But I hope that the discussion in this segment and in, in part one um, have given you a sense of not only the reasons behind the training tracks as they occur in AA, but really the necessity of each successive stage in terms of the natural growth and development of the soul when the techniques of AA are rightly applied. And that was my goal, to kind of illustrate that process. So if you have any questions or comments on this, as always, please send them to me at livingthelema at me.com. Or um, you may also wish to visit the livingthelema.com website, uh, review my bio if you want more information about my work. As always, I really love to get your comments and suggestions for future segments and your feedback in general. So once again, thanks for listening.